Hello and welcome to Bright Wings, children's books to make the heart soar. I am your host, Charity Hill. The purpose of this conversation is to help mothers and fathers identify books that will liberate their children to embrace truth, goodness, and beauty. I'm offering you two book reviews by Sarah Pennypacker. First, I'm going to review her novel, Pax. And then I'm going to review her novel called Here in the Real World. I'm happy to say at the outset, I think it's really important for the reader to pay attention to the title and the importance of the title for the meaning of each book as a whole. Let me first tell you about Pax. In Pax, Pax, as we know, is the Latin word for peace. And peace is the great question of this book. This novel is a story about a fox and his boy, Peter. Peter's fox is named Pax, who was adopted by Peter when Pax was just a kit. These two little creatures are joined sympathetically at the heart, for we find out that Peter's mother died. Peter's father enlists in a war. This war is an unspecified war in an unspecified time and place. We do find out later in the book that the war is actually about, is over water and water rights. Interesting. Peter's father signs up for this war and insists that Peter go and live with his father, Peter's grandfather. What this also means is that Peter has to release Pax into the wild. Peter and Pax are totally devoted to each other, totally connected at the heart with one another. It is tragic. I mean, it's so sad. It's on the basis of their trust in one another that Peter is able to get rid of Pax. He and his father drive Pax out to a wilder, more unpopulated area. And Peter throws Pax's favorite toy, which he usually would fetch back to Peter. He throws the toy really far, and then they get in the car and they drive away quickly. Peter's then delivered to his grandfather, and Peter has immediate regrets about abandoning Pax and makes plans to walk 300 miles back to Pax. Peter sets out on this journey in a certain sense to distance himself from his father and his grandfather, who are men who are characterized by anger. And Peter is characterized by his fear of them and his fear of becoming like them. It's an interesting question to think about whether Peter sets out on this journey towards Pax, towards peace, as a way to distinguish himself from them, as a way to grow in his identity, as a way to answer the question, who am I? He definitely does not want to be like his father, determined by, by anger, determined by emotional distance. He's afraid of those very possibilities within himself. He has seen his own tendencies in this regard. Soon after setting out on his journey, Peter wrecks up his ankle, sprains it really badly, and takes refuge with a woman who is a, a war veteran herself. She lives alone, and she's working out a certain kind of penance for her regrets as a soldier. Together, she and Peter help each other. She helps Peter uh, know himself better and to know a new mercy for his father. And at the same time, she helps strengthen him physically and emotionally. She feeds him, of course, and cares for his ankle and, and helps him get on the road to healing. This veteran's name is Vola. Do you know what Vola means, folks? I'm going to roll with the Latin definition. Since Penny Packard named the book Pax, and that's from Latin, I went from the Latin definition for Vola, and that means similar to French and Spanish. It means fly, as in to fly through the air. 
Surely Pennypacker was not being ironic since Vola has a peg leg, a missing leg. What does she as a character have to do with flying? She certainly helps Peter learn to fly again in a certain sense. She helps him grapple with meaning. She helps him grapple with suffering. Perhaps Pennypacker names Vola, Vola, because she has carved some enormous puppets, one of which is a bird, a bird modeled on Sinbad's escape from the Roke's Nest, a powerful bird involved within a, a story of escape, escape back home. And yet it is Peter who teaches her that she still has something to offer the world. He helps her to see that she is a teacher. And all along, you can see the beautiful Socratic method she has of asking him questions and awaiting his response. The novel Pax switches between Peter's perspective and his conversations, especially with Vola, to Pax's thoughts and experiences and his Fox conversations and perceptions with a vixen named Bristle. The longer Pax lives in the wild, the more wild he becomes. He adapts very quickly and he forms a new community with Bristle and Bristle's little brother. The book is worthy of praise for the way it grapples with the question, who am I? Peter really grapples with where have I come from, especially in terms of his mother and his father and his grandfather. He really grapples with how does his origin affect him. And he also grapples deeply with, especially with the help of Vola, the choice of what good must I do? And with the effect that that moral choice is going to have on his character. Those are some things I really appreciated about the novel. The setting is pretty hazy. It's not well-defined. You don't know the time and place in which it's really happening. It seems a little dystopian, a little gray. And though it's possible to see it as an anti-war book that humans always destroy everything, and what we really need is to let nature alone, it's possible to read it like that. I didn't actually find war to be a really important feature of the book. We hear that war is coming, but it's just part of the atmosphere. It's part of the background at this point. In general, I think Pennypacker is asking the reader to renounce violence. I believe Pennypacker has some love for Buddhism. And in Buddhism, I think there is the assumption that life is suffering. And we feel this existential pain in Peter and Pax feels it in Peter, in Peter's loss of his mother, and in Peter's unhappiness from time to time. Pax tries to comfort Peter, we hear, in these different flashbacks. At the end of the novel, Peter lets Pax go. And he lets Pax go with the same way that he, in the beginning, tricked Pax into leaving Peter. He throws the toy, a toy soldier, in fact, he throws a toy soldier away from him so that Pax will go and chase it, and so that Pax will return to Bristle and Bristle's brother, her brother Runt. So perhaps Pennypacker is also proposing that it is better to suffer evil than to commit it. And though it hurts Peter to let Pax go after so much, he does. I was telling my 13-year-old daughter about this book, wondering if she would be interested in reading it because I wanted her perspective. So I was telling her about it, just about as I have you. And she says, it sounds like it's an emotionally conflicted book. I took notes, by the way. She says, it sounds like it's an emotionally conflicted book. How are you supposed to know whether he did the right thing or not? 
when he does the same thing at the end of the story that he did in the beginning, the thing that he regretted so much, but he was willing to risk everything. He was willing to risk everything to get back to Pax. And then he does the same thing at the end that he did in the beginning. And it's funny to hear her repeat back to me a summary, an emotional summary uh, of what I felt as I was reading the book. So it's true, you do feel very uncertain about the ending. And all along, you feel very emotionally conflicted about all of the difficult situation that the boy is confronting. In the end, I feel like the book is a big open question that isn't quite answered at the end. And the end doesn't have a lot of concluding action. It doesn't have a lot of descending action once he throws that toy soldier for Pax. It's a bit of a hard book. It's a bit of a lonesome book. And it's slow for a middle grade novel. It just might be too subtle and too wise for most middle grade fiction readers. I'm frankly too sad at the end. Peter is such a lonely boy. And a, a great question is the experience of, as Vola puts it, two, but not two, this experience of being united with another, so that your existence is not alone. Perhaps this is what Peter tries to give Pax. He also doesn't want his fox to be hurt by any more human contact. The war has brought a lot of disruption to the wild animals. Perhaps we can understand that when Peter throws the toy soldier away from him, so that Pax will fetch it. He's throwing from himself violence, putting distance between himself and war. The clue that Pennypacker gives us that this is what she intends, perhaps, is the story ends with the sentence, and Peter hurled the plastic soldier over the brush and into the woods as far away as he could. On the facing page, as if it is a note written on lined notebook paper, are some words written by Peter written in his own handwriting, as if perhaps he's made a decision. Sometimes the apple rolls very far from the tree. This notion that Peter is not like his father, that he's committed to different things. His life is structured according to different ideals. Peter has freed Pax. He's let go of the commitment to that relationship, as well as the consolation of that relationship. And he's distancing himself from his father. He loves the experience of being loved by his father. And yet his father is participating in the destruction and then the suffering of the world. And he can see that in the effects of war on Pax. The effects that his father has had on him and Pax. And then the effects that his father and his father's war has had on the natural world. When Peter throws away the toy soldier, and when we see the note that the apple does sometimes fall far from the tree, we think, well, Peter has made a decision, but I guess now he's just all alone? Is that what we're left with? That does seem to be the question that hangs over the end of the book. Altogether, Pax is a good book. It's not a harmful book. It's a book I would let my children read. It asks some very good questions. It asks some hard questions. But I think it's a tough sell because of its ending. You know what, though? If your child reads it and finds it a book worth reading, I would love to know about it. And if you do like it, just to give you a heads up, just announced on September 7th, 2021 is a sequel to PAX. It's called PAX Journey Home, and it takes place a year after Peter and PAX separate. The good news is it sounds like a reunion book. 
for the next book by Sarah Pennypacker, the book titled Here in the Real World, published in 2021. I have nothing but praise, pretty unlimited praise. I loved this book. I want everybody to read this book. Some reviewers said it's a book for introverts, dreamers, and misfits. I think that's totally bogus. It's a book for any young person who has hope. It's a book for any young person who is fighting fighting cynicism. It's a book for any young person who is confronted by the darkness of the world and the troubles of the world and hopes for something better, which if that makes you a dreamer or a misfit, perhaps this is a great book for you, which also means perhaps it's a great book for a lot of us. So let's talk about Here in the Real World. One of the things that I loved about it is that the main character, Ware, I know, odd name, W-A-R-E, goes through so much growth. I think Penny Packer wants to give us a clue as to the meaning of this story, precisely in naming Ware the way she does. So I had an idea this might be going on, so I looked up Ware in the Merriam-Webster Dictionary. The most interesting definition of where it that might apply to this book is as an adjective and an archaic use of the word. Where means to be aware, to be conscious, to be wary, and to be vigilant. I think Penny Packer named this character this way on purpose. I think it's more than just a cool name. I think it's very intentional. Because where is a more than usually sensitive kid. He's highly aware of people and their responses to him, he's highly aware of his environment and highly sensitive to it. He notices detail. He notices um, what people say and how they respond to him. And he notices the details of beauty. One of the great developments in Ware's character from the beginning to the end is that he grows in his identity. But what is characteristic of him never changes, in, and his name gives us this clue. He grows more deeply into this experience and this identity of being an artist, and he has this great sensitivity. He is aware. He is vigilant. He becomes conscious, deliberately walking into this identity. As his uncle puts it, artists see something that moves us. We need to take it in make it part of ourselves, and then give it back to the world, translate it in a way the world can see it too. And this character development is one of the most marvelous things going on in this book, but it is a marvelously complex, slightly gritty, somewhat earthy book. Penny Packer, as an artist, has really done her job. She has really taken something that has moved her. Several dimensions in this book are quite complex, and she weaves them all together in a way that her audience can really receive, an audience of eight years old and up. So let me give you a quick summary of the plot, and then I'll tell you the things, more things, that I love about it. Now, I'm happy to admit that when I first opened it, I didn't think I was going to like it very much. In the beginning of the book, where is a not terrifically likable. You feel sympathetic to him because he's the protagonist. But he's kind of the kid on the edges and you don't want him to feel lonely. You wish he would take more action. And yet you feel really sympathetic to him, especially in terms of his lack of appreciation by his parents. His parents don't really see him. They don't appreciate him and they don't affirm him. And in fact, he thinks they would like him better if he were basically someone else, if he was very different from how he is. His parents, as the book opens up, have signed him up 
for another summer of recreation camp at the community center. Ugh, he's 11 and a half. He feels way too old for it. And he has lived many lonely summers on the margins of these of the social groups. He's actually comfortable on the margins. He likes watching people and observing them. His parents want him to live a more engaged social life in herds of kids laughing and playing, um, sort of rowdy wrestling. His parents' plan is to work all summer. Their plan is to buy their house by the end of the summer. His parents are both overprotective and absent. Brutal combination. Such a modern combination. And I thought, well, here's another book about emotionally distant parents who don't understand their child, the, and their child is a disappointment to them, and the child's perception of their relationship is that he is a disappointment to them. Haven't we already read that book before? Can it really end up being a meaningful book at nearly 300 pages? Yes, absolutely yes, and it's full of action. Despite the f- fact that I said that he kind of becomes an artist, don't let that put you off. It's not slow or sentimental. The plot of the book largely revolves around the fact that when Ware's parents drop him off at summer camp, at rec camp, Ware trails behind the group when they're running, and he stops and looks over the fence and discovers a ruined church. We're always hearing Ware's narrated thoughts, and he says, someone laid siege to the church. So he goes over the fence. Ware loves the Middle Ages, has done a report on the Middle Ages, which went underappreciated by his mother. And he thinks that the church looks like a medieval castle. It has a tower, a watchtower. It's really a bell tower. And he discovers that someone else has fallen in love with this same site, a girl named Jolene. She's a scrappy, gritty thing. Wonderful. And she is gardening on this property. Jolene is an expert in things that Ware doesn't know that much about. She's very wise in ways that Ware isn't. Over the course of the book, we find out that Jolene was left by her mother. Uh, her mother brought a garbage bag full of possessions to the, her to the aunt's house and left Jolene with his aunt, who was a bit of a hard drinker and fairly unkind to Jolene. Jolene has been wounded, and she's quite confident in her cynicism. All along, Ware is asking the questions of boy who is sensitive to reality. He's asking the questions, who am I? Where have I come from? Where am I going? What good must I do? And he's looking for a guide to help him answer these questions. One of the things that he loves is the Middle Ages, and he's very interested in the knightly code, the code of chivalry. Let me give you a quote that shows how this book acknowledges that our young people are looking for a great proposal. He says, sometimes he wished he lived back in the Middle Ages. Things were a lot simpler then anyway, especially if you were a knight. Knights had a rule book, their code of chivalry, that covered everything. Thou shalt always do this, thou shalt never be that. If you were a knight, you knew where you stood. Too often, Ware wasn't even sure he was standing. Sometimes he felt as if he was wafting, in fact, a little drifty. His mother, like the knights, operated from a clear code, and she was always trying to share it with him. If you aren't thinking three steps ahead, she would say, for example, you're already four steps behind. The trouble was, Ware hadn't the faintest clue how to unravel an advice puzzle like that. His father lived by a code also made up of sports sayings. It was equally undecipherable. Jolene, the girl who loves gardening, the girl who's building a garden in the midst of rubble, is also wondering where she comes from and where she's going. 
She ponders this through the medium of gardening and composting and recycling and repurposing. Jolene also lives by a kind of code. One of her principles is that everything was something else before and will be something else after. When she's telling Ware about something and he says, well, that isn't fair. And this happens a few times. She proposes cynicism. She says, I keep forgetting we're in magic fairness land. And then she frowns a clowny sad face and smacks her forehead again. Oh, no, darn. Still here in the real world. Ware felt a growl, an actual growl, rumble in his chest. Why do you even care? So what if I live in magic fairness land? Jolene cut off another stalk with a savage slice. You're not a realist. You want things to be magically what they're not. You have to be a realist to survive in this world. Ware shifted uncomfortably. What do you mean, survive? Make it through. Life. Life's going to crush you if you don't see it coming. Ware looked around. It didn't help that he was surrounded by flattened playground equipment. This lot hadn't seen it coming. What should I do? Open your eyes. Look out for life. Coming to crush you. And yet it is Ware's nightly code that gives Jolene reason to hope, reason to see the world more deeply, more like Ware does, which is to say more deeply than her cynicism allows. Number five in the Knight's Code was, Thou shalt persevere to the end in any enterprise begun. And so when the city is going to come and level the lot and sell it, Ware makes Jolene a promise. He promises her to save the lot. Later he says, That thing you say about me living in magic fairness land, you're wrong. I mean, you're right. I don't think you should just take it when bad things happen. But I don't want things to be magically what they're not. I want them to be what they could be. And somebody has to want that or nothing bad will ever get better. And so where enacts one of the rules in the code of chivalry, thou shalt do battle against unfairness whenever faced with it. Thou shalt be always the champion of the right and the good. But what can two or three kids do against large systems set in motion? What does heroism look like in the real world? Is cynicism smarter or wiser? What kind of code is the best guide for us to help us find meaning as we grow? Something that's so delightful about this book is that it's postmodern in a certain sense, post-Christian, but it still acknowledges the deep roots of Western Christianity and our need to connect with them. I think this is psychologically really healthy. The church slash castle that they are spending their summer protecting and repurposing is in a state of ruin. And yet some of the metaphors from this are just so rich. So Ware is very interested in this immersive baptism tank, how it is a, he calls it a do-over tub. And he's very interested in the process of baptism and what it could do for him. He wants to be made new and he wants to become someone that his parents appreciate. He wants to be quote unquote normal. When he and Jolene make a moat and fill it with water, he kind of baptizes himself and he kind of begs, make me normal. Ah, so, so interesting. What does Pennypacker mean by normal, eh? At another point under some rubble, Ware finds a sandwich board and on it, spelled out in black plastic letters on both sides of the sign was the message, be not afraid. Ware carries the sign over to Jolene's garden and plants it beside her papayas. 
be not afraid, Jolene. Perhaps underneath Jolene's cynicism is fear, fear of disappointment. Something else that he finds in the church makes me crack up, and yet it's not funny. It's really meaningful. Ware goes into the office and he finds this folder, and on the outside of the folder is written a question. Are you leading a purpose-driven life? I love that Penny Packer just lifted that Rick Warren statement and repurposed it like Jolene would have her do, because that is a great question. Are you leading a purpose-driven life? And isn't that a question we want our young people to be asking, Rick Warren or not? (laughs) And where rightly is enchanted by this question, what was a purpose-driven life? What purpose could drive his? These seemed like exactly the kinds of things a person trying to get himself reborn should ask. And that's a quote. And this is exactly what drives Ware's identity. His quest to be faithful to Jolene and his promise to her, and his quest to become who he is. In the latter eighth of the book, he has a stunning conversation with his mom. His mom is a crisis manager at local hospitals. He tells her to stop overprotecting him so that he can learn to survive. He says, if I don't start living in the real world, life's going to crush me. I'm not a child, mom, he says. You did a good job protecting me, but now I'm strong. I am a person leading a purpose-driven life. A purpose-driven life? A purpose-driven life, and the purpose driving it is unfairness. And in his mind, because his mom doesn't like chivalry, he says to himself, thou shalt do battle against unfairness whenever faced with it. Number nine, thou shalt always be the champion of the right and the good against injustice. Number seven, and then he says out loud, unfairness, injustice, I want to fix it. And I got that from you. Me? From me? From you all day long. You work to fix the worst things that happen and you love your job. You're right, she said after a moment. Bad stuff happens. I hate that, but I do like fixing it. So stop trying to keep bad stuff from me and start teaching me how to fix it. And there's this fabulous turning point. His mother slid forward on her elbows and rested her chin on her fists. She looked him straight in the eye. All right. The first thing is to identify the piece of the problem that you can do something about. The piece? You can't fix everything, but she patted her her folder. Take this morning. And she begins to teach him how to deal with the problem. In a certain sense, she helps him to learn how to deal with the problem of the world, the problem of injustice, of unfairness. I'll tell you straight up, they don't save the lot, but they do save hope. And Ware finds an answer for Jolene. He makes an answer for Jolene. And you'll love seeing how the book ends. He says, you're right, bad stuff happens, but the real world is also all the things we do about the bad stuff. We're the real world too. One little thing I haven't mentioned yet that I want to mention for my Canadian fans is that there's a great Canadian girl in the book called Ashley. Penny Packer creates her as a really sympathetic character, especially because Jolene turns all her cynicism upon her, disbelieving that anybody could be so good. And she is just so good. I love the way Penny Packer um, meditates on the inflection of this girl named Ashley, how she ends her statements as if they're questions. Ware appreciates this about her too. All right, one more tidbit. I could go on, but one more tidbit that um, actually, in fact, nearly made me cry was a grammar lesson that Ware ends up giving to Jolene. His mom's always correcting his grammar and kind of inadvertently Ware corrects Jolene. They're having a conversation about Mrs. Stravos. Mrs. Stravos, remember? The lady that gives me all the rotten fruit. Ware corrected her absently. Who? 
Mrs. Stravos, I already told you about her. No, I mean, it's who, not that. The instant he said the words, he regretted them. It irritated him when his mother corrected his grammar, but Jolene was staring at him for an explanation, and there was no exit sign in that stare. Who is for people, and that is for things. So it's Mrs. Stravos is the lady who, not the lady that. Jolene dropped her hammer and fell back on her butt. Sorry, where's that? It doesn't matter. Jolene's knuckles whitened around the spike she was holding. No one ever told me that rule. For real, it doesn't matter. Lots of people make that mistake. It's a good rule. Jolene fumed as if he hadn't spoken, as if he weren't even there. Because people aren't things. You can throw things away. Usually you shouldn't. But sometimes things are trash. But people are never trash. So it's good that people get a different word. I am a person. Who knows that? It's just this marvelous scene where Penny Packer uses this small little thing, this stupid grammar rule to show us the character of Jolene, her need to be valued, to be understood as precious, to be loved, to not be treated as disposable, but to be loved as a person. So many beautiful things in this book. Such a great book about um, this mutual relationship between Ware and Jolene that causes them both to flourish in new ways. I hope you have enjoyed listening to this book review of Sarah Pennypacker's two books, Pax and Here in the Real World. I hope these book reviews have helped you to know whether these books are books worth reading.